Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Ben, who suddenly had to adjust from working in a hospital as a clinical lead to being a patient himself. And all I can remember was sat there thinking, it should be me working on that patient, not me sat being a patient. And it was really, really odd to be the opposite side of it and feel that I just felt really vulnerable. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Molly Tresiden. And on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. On this episode, Ben talks to me about being diagnosed with an inherited heart condition and what it's like living with a pacemaker when you're still in your early 30s. Ben, could you start out by um, telling us a bit about yourself? Uh, So I'm currently 34. I work in a local children's hospital as a senior practitioner and clinical lead. And just over a year ago, I had a pacemaker inserted and I've been diagnosed with a pretty uncommon cardiac disease. And I reached out to the BHF to discuss the treatment I received. And so you mentioned that you had a pacemaker. Could you take me back to before then, to when you first realised that there was something going on with your heart? Yeah, so it was June 2019. Uh, I woke up one night time in the middle of the night, really feeling not right. I was chesty, sweaty and quite panicky kind of you do that thing where you make yourself go oh probably nothing else I was like maybe it's hay fever maybe I'm just feeling a bit under the weather but it was enough that it scared me enough to think I probably need to go and get some help in the morning I stayed awake all night managed to get myself in with a nurse at my local GPs the following morning sent a message to work saying I'm not going to be coming in till after lunch uh, I think my hay fever's got me a bit of a stay uh, I've been breathing like an obese pug was the message that I sent <laughs> and I feel absolutely rubbish um, just going to make it to the doctors first went and saw a lovely nurse at my local GP practice listened to my chest she said it sounded clear she agreed it might have been hay fever but just while we were there she was just going to do some basic monitoring just to pulse and the blood pressure so working in a medical field I kind of know the base routine uh, levels for these didn't particularly look what she was what, they were, what was on her screen when she put them on. Not long after she recorded them, she said she was going to nip out for a minute and we'll come back with a GP. GP came in, looked at the same figures and just said, are you okay? Um, said, yeah, I'm absolutely fine. Asked if I was a long-distance runner or some kind of semi-professional athlete. After having a look down at myself, I decided that, no, I was none of those things. Just <laughs> 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 no. my heart rate was really low like concerningly low and that perhaps there'd been some sort of cardiac episode overnight and probably to pack up to the hospital there and then while i've been waiting for the appointment i'll get messages from work saying are you coming in we're going to have to cancel some surgery this afternoon if you can't get here we're really short staff i've decided that once again i was like actually i feel okay it was just kind of overnight i said okay i can we just refer me to cardiology and if there's anything in the meantime i'll come back Went to work kind of with it on my mind, but not concerned enough that I thought anything was going to come of it. I thought maybe it was just a bit of a one off. Maybe the monitoring wasn't great, but let's wait until I get to cardiology. Mm-hmm. Um, 10 days later, I went to the cardiology clinic, had some bloods, had an ultrasound of my heart, and a 24 hour ECG put on, uh, which I had all day overnight to the next day. Again, kind of dropped all this off, didn't think much of it. Um, two days later, I was in work. Um, my GP called and asked if I could go somewhere quiet. 
um, which in an operating department is quite difficult to do, but I did manage to find some little cupboard out of the way. And my GP informed me that they received an urgent letter from the hospital saying I was in complete heart block, which means that the rhythm between the top element and the bottom element of my heart were completely out of sync with each other. Um, and kind of the way I've always described it is when you think of a heartbeat, goes dum 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 it wasn't getting that rhythm. It was kind of the top was just doing the duh, 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 and every now and then the bottom would kind of go, well, I've not done anything for a bit, boom, and would just make this what was apparently rubbish effort to try and keep some sort of pattern. Right, yeah, so the bottom was beating out of time. Yeah, there was just no link between the two of them. The bottom would just mm. do it when it thought mm. it needed to pick up with it. It was that I was going to need some urgent treatment very soon. Um, we discussed what life was like, what I did, and just got a lot of concern about some of the surgical equipment I use, um, the stress of my job. And essentially, she just said, you need to go home, wait cardiology instruction, put your life on hold, don't go to the gym, don't go to work, don't drive, don't do anything. And you mentioned that you work in the medical field. Did you Had you heard of heart block before? Did you sort of know what it meant? Yeah, so I when I was doing my education at uni with quite a lot of that is obviously like it covers a lot of basic biology and I can read an ECG I understand some basic cardiac conditions um I don't work in a cardiac sense so my knowledge isn't huge but it was enough to know that this is quite serious yeah so I think that I'd not expected that to be the response from the GP that everything was kind of stopped so I was, I was in the cupboard at work which was in a quiet place I kind of I left and it was all kind of just a little bit numb I kind of just walked into my office where my colleagues were and just said, look, I'm apparently not very well. I've got to go home. Put my bag up and left and then got the tram to come home. So I was sat on the tram trying to read things about it and understand a bit more because, well, I say I got some basic knowledge. It wasn't huge. And I kind of thought, I need to understand this to make sure I know what I'm doing. Um, at which point I called my parents and my husband to kind of just say, this is what's happening. Mm. And how did they react? So my parents came and met me at the tram stop. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit of an emotional stop on the platform with my mum. Yeah. So I think, so I'm still quite young, I'm very close to my parents, and for them to kind of hear that was unpleasant. Yeah, because you were only, what, 32, 33 when you got back? 33, yeah. 33, yeah. And it was kind of the whole uncertainty around it. And it was just, you stop until we tell you something else. Mm-hmm. Spent a bit of time with my parents until my husband came home from work. He was working away, a couple of hours away. Um, we talked through options. His work was great and supported him. He worked from home for a while, so I wasn't left alone. I was looking at the time. Every, every couple of minutes, I'd be like on the internet searching something else. Was there a bit more I could find out? Was there anything else I could see? Mm. What was quite funny at the time was when I was uh, applying for a mortgage. <laughs> we were sat looking at life insurance and things, and I just thought... But the irony of this was I kind of gone from being at work absolutely fine, just thinking I'd had a bit of hay fever attack one night, to be on hold of there's a serious cardiac condition, you need to be ready to go to the hospital at any point. Get to us if you need to. Um Yeah. I did spend quite a few days backwards and forth to the hospital, um, additional tests, more heart scans, more bloods, um, kind of just regular contact with the cardiac team to say you're okay while they were making decisions on what they were going to do. Um, I finally got called in to meet a registrar in a cardiac clinic where they told me that we would be making a decision on what was happening. 
typically nothing ever works smoothly. We turned up for the clinic, it had been cancelled. Um, they told me to go home, and I was like, no, no I, I've mm. been told I've got to be here. Eventually, they found out that I, they had cancelled the clinic, but they kept my appointment. They were just waiting for somebody to be available to come and see me. Mm-hmm. A lovely cardiac registrar came who was really busy. He'd got a couple of bleeps going. I work with people like this, and I see how busy they are. And he was like, we've looked at your results. You're definitely in complete heart block. We need to do something about that. But just as he was kind of getting to where he was going to be, his bleep went off, and he was like, I'm just going to take a quick call. And while he was doing that, he just slid across a booklet across the table, which, funnily enough, was the uh, British Heart Foundation booklet for pacemakers. And I can remember all I just looked at was the red word. It said pacemaker on it. I kind of just thought, oh, I knew this was going to be an option, but it wasn't what I wanted. Mm. What had you hoped might be the outcome? I don't know. I, I, I was hoping they kind of just say maybe it was all just not true and they were just going to say, go back to normal, ignore it, you'll be fine. This might be something that comes back to you in your later life, but mm-hmm. I'd forget about it for 40, 50 years. Um, I think when I'd looked at a lot of information about it, pacemaker seemed to be a very common solution to it, but it wasn't the one that I wanted. So I think sometimes if you don't want things, you kind of push it away, don't you? Think, if I pretend it's not there, it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And then the idea of having the pacemaker is that it helps to regulate your heart rate so it doesn't drop dangerously low. Yeah, So and it controls the rhythm of my heart if it's not making a good rhythm itself that it can mm. step in and so it keeps me at a safe level all the time. Yeah. And so then I guess you went on to have a conversation with the registrar about it. Uh, yeah, it kind of just said, we're going to book you in for two weeks time. Um, can you come next Friday for your pre-assessment? At which point you'll be the consultant who's looking after you. Uh, and we can talk through it there. And this was actually where things went a bit off track again. Once my pre-assessment was all, was consented for the surgery, was prepared to have it done we'd gone through a lot of the device controls with the specialist team and at the 11th hour when I was sat with the consultant he just said to me do you feel okay and I just said yes and I felt fine all along when he had that one episode that I can really think of and I'm pushing a bit further we found out that there'd been a couple of other times when I'd overexerted it in the gym and felt faint and ended up sat on the floor a couple of times just coming around mm. essentially it was there's an extreme of something from my heart would respond badly to it. And he made the point of, well, maybe you've had this for 33 years and it's just, it's caught your attention now, but you never knew. So agreeing with me that I was young for a pacemaker and seeing how much I, I was quite against it at the time, we agreed to stop with the pacemaker. He said that I, there would be a time when I got into some trouble. Uh, I'd know. Said it might be five days, it might be fifteen years, but I something would happen. I'd end up back with them, and then it would be there's no choice. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I lasted about six months. I got to Christmas, uh, coming home one day on the tram. I had a busy day. I felt quite stressed. I was late. I was tired, and trying to go home. I just remember being sat on the tram, just thinking, I, I don't feel well. Something's mm-hmm. not right. Um. Typically, the tram broke and abandoned me miles away from my car. So I ended up walking across town to get to the car and all the time just thinking, something's not right. And is it kind of what you didn't want? Yeah. Got myself home, walked in, packed a bag and just said to my husband, come on, I'm not right. And I know I'm not. We went straight to A&E. They were kind of 
it was on the system that I had a cardiac condition. They knew I'd be coming at some point. And they took a pulse and it was so incredibly low that they took me straight from the waiting list into uh, resus, which is the highest level of care you can get in A&E. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked a lot in resus over the years. So when they put monitoring on me and then brought a defibrillator over and parked it at the side of the bed, I kind of thought this is now really serious. Mm. Stayed for the night and at one point the patient at the side of me was receiving chest compressions. They were trying to do some life-saving. They were talking about intubating the patient. And all I can remember was sat there thinking, it should be me working on that patient, not me sat being a patient. Mm. And it was really, really odd to be the opposite side of it and feel that I just felt really vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, what happened next was, did you anticipate that this this would be it? You would need the pacemaker? So I, I clearly knew that we're back into difficult cardiac scenarios again. Mm. Um, I was admitted onto the cardiac ward the following morning. Spent several days on there. Clearly not the norm for their patients. But they put me in my own room, but I was allowed to look out a little bit. And it was essentially just older people that were there. Um, the nursing staff were great. They really looked after me. But again, it's so odd to be a patient on the other side of it. You kind of, I'm used to caring for people and being a carer, not receiving the care. Yeah, I was a Did terrible it, patient. I was going to say, were you like critiquing the nurses? <laughs> No, of course, I didn't tell them for a couple of days what I did because I think it, it, always, it puts people's backs up a little bit. You become quite cautious that they're they're in the same field of you and you kind of feel, are they judging you? And I didn't want that to be a thing. But I was a terrible patient. They, uh, I was wired to the bed and I could generally move between the bed and the wall and had to have 24-hour monitoring. But um, like a sort of naughty toddler, every time... <laughs> I decided that I wanted to go to the toilet or something. I'd like take it off and run across to the bathroom before they could find me. <laughs> you must hate it when patients do that to you. <laughs> Luckily, my patients are always anaesthetised and can't escape from me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think at one point they'd let me come off the wall monitor and gave me a little portable monitor that would work with on, within the ward. And they're like, you can go as far as that door. So every time I'd walk up and down the corridor, I'd just go another step further just to see how far I could push it. <laughs> Whether you'd get zapped. <laughs> and they were just like, come back. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, but they were really good. There was a lot of uh, complex discussions going on between not just my consultant uh, and cardiac team at that hospital, but they'd also linked up with a uh, regional cardiac centre to kind of discuss together what the long-term plans should be for me and how we were going to treat this. Um after five days of being on cardiac care, they'd had a final meeting about the plans and the decision was that we would be going with a pacemaker on the following Monday. However, the biggest concern was why I developed this unusual rhythm, why I was in complete heart block, because it's so unusual for somebody quite young to end up with this. It's normally when a sign of your heart's got tired and fatigued, mm. which comes with ageing. How did you feel about it this time around? And I was much more on board with it this time, I think, because the time I spent in resource kind of and how ill I felt was enough to scare me genuinely. Hmm. And I think it was quite, what was what was quite an eye-opening experience was the being sat in resource, knowing how severe that is and how critically ill I must have been. But seeing the teams working on a patient at the side of me trying to save their life and just being thinking, I'm in the next bed to that person. Yeah, this is. Now, this is something we've got to sort now. Yeah. 
So you had your your week's respite at home and then you were back in. And what was the procedure like? Really interesting from a complete surgical nerd point of view. I absolutely (laughs) loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Was it the first time that you'd undergone surgery yourself? Yes. Um, And really interesting. Normally they will do these pacemaker under sedation. But while we were doing the consent and talking through the procedure, he was saying that I could have sedation. I kind of said, do I have to? I'm quite interested. I want to see what I can see. I want to understand this is like my area. So we agreed to just do the procedure under local anaesthetic. Okay. Really surreal experience. The vantage point was quite good. They angled some screens so that I could see what was happening. I could see the x-rays. I could see the ultrasound they were using. Uh, and the consultant talked me through while he was doing it. Right. So, and you were, yeah, you were fully awake and fully aware of what was going on, able to have a conversation. Yeah. Um, having a chat with the staff about their lunches. <laughs> and probably asking too many questions because I was interested. Um, yeah. And it didn't make you feel squeamish at all, sort of seeing it being done on yourself? No, I think that about an hour inwards, I kind of thought maybe you've made a bad decision and you ought to have had some sedation. <laughs> but at which point I was like, it's too far gone, just carry on because we'll not be far off the end. Yeah. How long did it take? Um, just under two hours. Right. And that's they they implant the pacemaker that's sort of at the top of your chest, isn't it? Yeah. So they make an incision. Uh, it's about two and a half inches long, uh, kind of just in between my collarbone and uh, left nipple. So they make the incision first. They feed some wires. I have two. Uh, one goes into the top chamber of my heart. One goes into the bottom chamber. Uh, they feed those down the vein. They uh, scan an x-ray to see where they are while they're placing them. Mm. I don't think I'll ever be able to describe the feeling of having that wire screwed into my heart. Um, so once they're happy they're in the right positions, they then put the pacemaker device onto the wires, check that it works, make a little pocket under the skin, drop it in, close it, and then check that it works. And so then what was the recovery from that like? Uh, I was home the same day. Uh, right. I, apart from being a bit tired, I think so it had just been quite a stressful event to go through. Because uh, I'd not had any sedation, I felt okay. And again, because I was quite young and in good health, aside from that, they asked me to leave. Um, I had to have my arm in a sling for a few days just so that I didn't make any excessive arm movements and disturb the wires. Mm. Um, and then it's about six weeks up to complete weight bearing again. So that, that's my job's quite physical. So I had to have some time off work and time off the gym and doing other things but it was close to Christmas so I hadn't had Christmas at home. (laughs) Yeah but then after those six weeks you are kind of able to go back to life as normal? Pretty much it depends on what people class as normal. At work I had to have a risk assessment done because we have two uh, MRI scanners that we regularly put our patients through uh, sometimes for surgical reasons sometimes just for diagnostic. Uh, Some of the surgical equipment we use at work uh, can interfere with it they've either got magnets in them they work at such a rapid high speed that if I came into contact with it and kind of touched it, it might upset the rhythm that my pacemaker's using. Mm. Not huge amounts, but enough that I got to have some restrictions on me at work and be aware of what I do there. Like and things like the gym, I uh, have to be very careful when I'm doing things like doing the bench press in the gym. I can put a lot of weight on your chest. I always kind of make sure that I've got a spotter with me somebody to help me just because I'm quite cautious of knocking in Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And and um, that was about a year ago now. Is that right? About 18 months, yeah. About 18 months ago. And how how is life now, day to day, living with a pacemaker? Do you notice it? Uh, I do. I think mainly because I'm quite vain. <laughs> I'll be completely <laughs> honest. Uh, I quite like a tight T-shirt and it's visible. You can right. see sometimes the shape of it. It's not my favourite thing. Hmm. I think I just like the scar for quite for quite a while. I I get so I get changed into scrubs every day when I go into work. I was quite self conscious about changing my top and would like lean a t shirt over the side of it just to kind of cover it. And then realise that actually, in the grand scheme of things, it's absolutely fine. Nobody's going to see it for two seconds in a changing room. Hmm. And I think whereas I feel I can see it on a t shirt, people can't. The majority of people you'd have to be looking. Hmm. And the odd time somebody has spotted it, it's people that know me and know that I've had it done. I uh, went to a party last year and one of my good friend's parents, she was like, oh, I think I can see it. And I was like, oh, you possibly can. So then she wanted to touch it. And then all, all of her friends came and all wanted to touch my chest, which I was <laughs> complaining at. <laughs> yeah. Mixed blessings. <laughs> yeah. yeah it, it, aside from that, it's fine. It's obviously, I have to be aware of the work restrictions again, like the new MRI and when we can finally start travelling again, there's a couple of restrictions about uh, airport scanners. In theory, you can go through them. Um, the advice is to, is to not, but it's not something that I would do routinely, about once or twice a year. Yeah. As you've said, you're very young to have this condition and to have a pacemaker. And have you ever met anybody or come across anybody who has the same condition or who also has a pacemaker? A uh, pacemaker is actually what... If you start looking uh, online, there's a, a few people out there with them, more than I expected, I think, um, all for different reasons. Everybody seems to have their own story and how they ended up with them. Um, quite often the, the conversations are around what kind of levels of activity can I go back to. There are things like contact sports are completely out of the window. You can't risk any heavy impact on it. Um, the diagnosis that I got, uh, which was only last year, I'll, which was the background to causing the issues was of uh, PCCD which is progressive cardiac conduction disease and this is really rare there's not many people in the country with it at all um, and I'm yet to come across anybody else with it and even kind of doing some deep searches on the internet you don't find many people with it. Mm. Yeah and what does uh, what does that condition mean? So it, it solved the question of why I was in the predicament that I was in and why my heart was struggling essentially it means that the heart tissue on the left hand side of my heart particularly uh, it doesn't conduct the electrical signals very well so even though I've now got a pacemaker in that can control how often the electrical beats and activity needs to run there's still going to be an element of the heart tissue not running that correctly and as good as it could be and it will just slowly degrade over time mm. the kind of the clues in the name of it being progressive it will continue to degrade over my life and it's just how we now stop it degrading any quicker yeah and what does that involve in terms of treatment regular uh, ultrasound scans of my heart so they can keep monitoring the tissue and see where it is initially we thought it was some sort of scarring but then i had some sort of cardiac event when i was younger and it wasn't so every six months i now have a scan to see where we are with it um, and i take some medication that should hopefully try and alter the sodium levels of it uh, which is the sodium channels run help run the electrical impulses through so that will slow down the degradation and I also take some blood thinners just so in case it does 
become a bit weaker again. There's not going to be a buildup of blood in my heart that could cause me to have a stroke. Mm. Yeah. And and what was it like receiving that diagnosis? Was that quite out of the blue as well? Yeah, it was because that came from the uh, specialist cardiac centre. Unfortunately, it came during COVID time, so I've never actually had a face-to-face conversation with anyone about this. It was just a phone call appointment and we just said, we're diagnosing you with this now. This is where we are. The more concerning part of it was that um, it falls under the inherited cardiac diseases. So essentially it meant that it's come from my family. There's something in my family genes that's caused this. Mm. Um, So my blood relatives, my parents and my sister have all had to have ECGs and blood done to make sure that they don't have the same thing. And did any, was anything found on any of their tests? No, thankfully they were all clear. I think we've worked out there's some cardiac history on my dad's side of the family. He'd had some family members pass away really young and his mum passed away young. And that all turned out to be cardiac things. And he didn't have the genetic code that caused uh, cardiac disease, but it came through to me. Hmm. Yeah. And you say that it's it's really difficult to find anybody else, even in the whole country, who has this condition. Yeah, it just seems to be so rare that there's not many of us around. I think kind of, part of me thinks that's quite good because it means there's not other people in the same scenario as me. But equally, it doesn't concern me hugely because I know it's not a rapid affecting disease. It's something that's kind of controllable. I just need to be aware that it's there. Yeah. And um, and so how do, how are things sort of day to day now? Is life sort of back to a kind of normal? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, as normal as you can get in COVID times. Um, yeah. I work. <laughs> I work. I go to the gym. I spend time with friends. Um, so I have to be a little bit aware of not overstressing my heart, not doing too much in the gym, not being not getting my heart rate too high for sustained times, which is great because I hate cardio. I was going to say, is there anything that you did before that you're not able to do now, but it doesn't sound like you were a rugby player before? No, I'm far too small to be a rugby player. (laughs) Uh, It was funny, the only thing that became a bit of a a slight change was a day out last year. Um, I went with my two best friends, uh, Simon and we went for a weekend to Alton Towers. And it never really occurred to me just how many rides had magnets that control the brakes or launches or whatever part of the ride system it needs to be. And oh, yeah. It was just a couple of days before we went. I thought, oh, maybe I ought to check this. And then like, there's a list of all the things that you can't do anymore. <laughs> but to be honest, they were, they were absolutely great about it. They We spoke about it, said we were still going to go and made the most of it without going on those things. They didn't go on them without me either. It also helped. It was uh, an Oktoberfest at the time, so we all just had some beers instead. <laughs> So are you, but are you still in theory allowed to do things like go on roller coasters, just not ones that have got magnets? Yeah, essentially just do what I please as long as I keep away from magnets that would interfere with the pacemaker. Because <laughs> I feel like most people, when they think of somebody with a heart condition, would think that going on a roller coaster, like it feels like the last thing that you should be doing. Yeah, and probably like all the warnings would always be if you have any sort of heart condition, don't, the disease makes no difference to my physical life or activity so while it probably seems really surreal that I can do these things it's absolutely fine mm, mm, yeah and and looking to the future um the pacemaker will be with you for the rest of your life is that right it will um it will it has a battery in it at some point it will change and uh, be updated uh, there's new technology coming with them all the time which is really interesting 
Mm. Uh, in fact, I was lucky enough to get a smart pacemaker, which always makes me laugh. I think of a smart fridge. <laughs> it has a 4G uh, SIM card and a memory card built into it. And every night when I go to bed, I've got a little device sat underneath my bed. It collects the data and sends it to the hospital. Wow. So they can see how I'm doing, what my heart's doing, um, if there's any issues, and they can then just phone me and say, we need you. Yeah, yeah. Does that feel quite reassuring? It is. And what was really reassuring was that earlier this year, they did phone me off the back of it. They said, your pacemaker's pulling up some unusual readings. Can you come in? So I did, and it turned out that I'd gone into uh, AF, uh, which is a another unusual heart rhythm. And it was one that my pacemaker couldn't manage to keep going itself half of it's beating fast because it again it doesn't know what to do so the top half of my pacemaker was kind of just ignoring that because it was working but again the bottom was out of sync with it mm. while my pacemaker is great at keeping a set rhythm it can't alter a rhythm when it's fallen into an unusual one mm-hmm. and this is kind of the risk of the uh, conduction diseases that this can happen every now and then come in confirmed that i was definitely in uh, atrial fibrillation had been in it for a little while uh, so we booked in and I had a cardioversion the following week, which is where they put me under general anaesthetic and used a defibrillator to essentially reboot my heart. Right, yeah, that helps to restore it to a normal rhythm. Yeah, it took them three attempts on the day, but it was successful and I was again discharged from there the same day. If I'd not had the kind of smart pacemaker that picks this up and sends the data, I wouldn't have known. Right, because you didn't feel any symptoms of that. No, what's quite interesting is that I wear a smartwatch all the time and I kind of I keep a track of my heart rate and it's also capable of doing an ECG, which occasionally I'll flick on just out of curiosity. But because I have a pacemaker, it, it gets a bit confused, so it wasn't actually showing me anything at any point to say that I was in AF. Yeah, and I was going to say like that you must feel like you've been in and out of hospital a lot over the last couple of years dealing with all of this, but you also work in a hospital. Um, so, I mean, how have the last couple of years been when you look back on them? Challenging. It's it's not been an easy time. I think I'm always quite, I'm quite a positive person as a rule and I try to kind of keep my head up and sometimes I, I'll try and just be really pragmatic about things and say, okay, this is x problem we're going to solve it with y and i think i did this quite successfully until earlier this year and i think the um the cardio version that i had with the week running up to that was that's where the most difficult i found as as a person like i was i became a bit stressed and a bit upset and kind of just felt really fed up you kind of like it's like it's that thing of i'm young i'm fit i don't understand why this is happening mm. and it's just it's tiring yeah and especially when you kind of thought it was back on track after having the pacemaker. Yeah, I kind of hoped that, that would be the end of it and I'd be okay for 10, 12 years until I needed it replacing. Yeah. And, you know, you said that your your parents and your husband had been pretty worried about you. How are they coping with it now? Uh, they're fine. I, I think when I, I got the conduction disease diagnosis, um, they did checks on my parents and my sister. Um I really believed that there was nothing with them because I felt incredibly guilty at the time. I kind of thought it, it's come about because of me. Mm. And I think they felt some guilt because it was something that's passed as inherited. So they wondered if it was their, not their fault, but kind of just because of them. Yeah. And it, I think it brought us closer together as a family unit. Um, 
I'm always close to my parents, but when I'm really close, we speak daily. My mum's regularly like, what are you doing? Tells me off when I'm, she thinks I'm doing too much. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, you've had to go through all of this, um, as you say, very young. And is there anything that, is there any advice that you might give to somebody who finds themselves in a similar situation? Maybe somebody who's young who has to have a pacemaker or is diagnosed with a condition similar to yours? Um, I think biggest change in my outlook from it was that I wish I started it sooner. I think I wish I'd, listened, I'd taken it a bit more seriously sooner rather than kind of just go, okay, I'm all right because I feel all right. That You can't see what's happening in your heart. You don't understand. You need to listen to people telling you to do the right things. Um, take the help, it's there. I think um, reading as much as you can, there's some great resources out there. Um, so what was funny was the first leaflet and bit of information I got were actually from the British Heart Foundation. They, they've been great resources. I've quite often kind of had the leaflets online, looked at them. Um, searching on the internet, there's, there's groups of people um, that regularly discuss their heart issues. I remember not long after my pacemaker had gone in a couple of days later I was in bed and it was so sore and there was a group for people that had pacemakers and I was just like what can I do to make this any better is there any advice and within five minutes I got people saying yeah go and put some ice on it take some different <laughs> medications for painkillers and it, it feels quite reassuring that there's other people out there who've done been through the same thing and, but for younger people having a pacemaker I'm never going to say I love mine. I'm never going to say that it's something I'm happy with, but it's something I've accepted. And Jenny doesn't look that bad. They're not just for old people. <laughs> um, it's just, jokingly, my kids call it my Iron Man heart. And I carry a little Iron Man on my keys now because he has a little <laughs> heart that kept him going. Yeah, yeah. So we kind of had long running jokes about me being Iron Man. <laughs> Iron Man is very good PR for people with heart conditions I feel yeah he's kind of built for it isn't he <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ben that's great thank you so much for sharing all of that with us and okay. yeah I hope that it really helps anybody else who might be going through something that's similar more information about pacemakers and inherited conditions like Ben's can be found at bhf.org.uk if you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, you can call the BHF's Heart Helpline and speak to a nurse between 9 and 5 on Mondays to Fridays on 0300-330-3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. Thank you for listening and join us next time on The Ticker Tapes.